Welcome to Too Smart for This, a podcast dedicated to knowing better and doing better for ourselves and others, hosted by me, Alexis Barber. In this show, we invite real people and experts to share their stories about how they navigate an ever-demanding society and talk about the personal decisions we make from career to health and wellness. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, happy Tuesday. Um, That is the most cringe opening to anything, but either way, I hope you're all doing very well or as well as possible in the world we're living in. I am so excited personally because I got to sit down with one of my biggest inspirations and someone who I admire so much, Sammy Sage, for this episode. Sammy is one of the co-founders of Betches, which if you don't know, obviously is one of the biggest media companies aimed at women currently that we like all absolutely love. Um, I was on Diet Starts Tomorrow last year and that was like a big moment for me. But essentially, we um, get to sit down and talk about the two things that we most have in common that we are always back and forth on Instagram and DMs about, which are um, disordered eating and diet culture and also politics. I mean, like Sammy and I are both very interested in politics. Sammy has an incredible platform where she helps people understand the way that like politics works um, in a more approachable way. And we get into like the importance of that. And I'm obviously just like a girl who's interested and tries to stay informed. So I am absolutely so excited for this conversation. We started recording mid-conversation. So please beware of that when you first start hearing what we're talking about. And I hope that you enjoy listening to us just chat it up and please 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 you know give it a review give it a like whatever share if you are listening on stories and don't forget to have a wonderful day and we'll get into the conversation now because we could just we don't have to even do all of our our niceties but I'm very excited to talk to you about all things politics life, business, food, all of it. I know. And they all go really well together, which I think is something that we've all learned this year, that there is such an important intersection between these things. And it's not always apparent, but me too. I'm, I feel like we, I mean, I just know from the podcast you post every morning that you listen to that we have the same taste generally. Yeah, exactly. I know that from just the in news articles and everything you post every day and your Twitter. I'm so happy I found you on Twitter too. Oh, thank you. Yes. I, some, some days I go really hard on Twitter and others. I'm just like, I don't have anything. I have nothing to it's say. It's too good. Yeah. I don't like, I'm not good at like making tweets because I get really nervous because people on Twitter and on TikTok actually are very mean. So I'm like too scared to post my own original content, but I do love a good retweet. Yes, totally. Totally. Well, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll grow into it. I, I have faith. I hope so. Yes, definitely. But I, we definitely have similar frustrations in this world ranging from disordered eating to our like massive political interest that turns into an anxiety 24 seven. Um, and you've done a great job with like being able to actually bring that to light with Betches and with like the SUP podcast and everything. So I'm very grateful for that, but also interested to know like how did you do that with 
having a very like clear um, base in the beginning and then moving it into more of like a liberal discussion that like you guys do on Betches? Like, did you like lose followers or like support because of your political like stances? Well, okay. So I will start to answer directly. Yes. Um, We lost a ton of followers, especially like in June when we were, you know, yeah. I mean, we posted one meme that was like, it wasn't even clearly saying like abolish the police, but it was saying, it was like, it was a joke about how, you know, a year ago we were like talking about light things and then now we're talking about abolishing the police, but it was like Mm -hmm. a joke, but it Mm -hmm. referenced abolishing the police. And like, there has never been like more of a backlash than we had to like that. I remember that was like a particularly um, angering one, but we would still continue to post about it. And we definitely lost a lot of followers. Um, But I mean, when we started Betches, it was almost 10 years ago. It's going to be 10 years in February. And we, I mean, personally, I was always really interested in politics, but mm-hmm. we didn't start Betches. We started more as like a cultural commentary to laugh about it. Um, and there was nothing really particularly like political about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we sort of like slowly like waded our way in, like when there would be, I remember when in the 2012 election, we would like joke about like Mitt Romney's binders full of women. So we touched it there, Mm -hmm. but, um, it wasn't until 2015, the, you know, that election that we started, that we started the SUP newsletter that year and, Ever since then, I mean, it's it's I think kind of been impossible not to engage personally um, since twenty sixteen, pretty much. Um, And I think honestly, like we got more, you know, we we started this up, and it was very clearly like a liberal, progressive minded vertical, um, which you know are our beliefs generally. So that is kind of like where what we wanted to use as our political outlet. And we still didn't typically post that much about politics on like main batches or some of our other verticals, but just because it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily like germane to those, but it became impossible to ignore with COVID and, and BLM. And that's when Mm -hmm. we were like, okay, well, this is our company and we have a stance and, um, you know, anyone, you know, if anyone looks further than the Betches account, it's pretty clear what our stance is, I would say. Right. For sure. I think that's really inspiring, honestly, because you did it sort of before that a lot of like the pressure to um, post about these things was like happening in June. Like I feel like people wouldn't talk about it then and it could be okay. But the moral at the same time, like morally, it is kind of like hard to like have a massive platform and then not use it for good too. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely like something that I'm, you know, very, I I personally feel that I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, But again, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not every person who, who is a Betches follower who maybe Mm -hmm. they, you know, don't have the background or they don't, you know, have the knowledge. And I don't, you know, think like that's an excuse necessarily, but there is obviously like some beauty in meeting or a need to meet people where they meet people where they are. Um, And I think that honestly, like through the SUP, because there is like this outlet that Betches fans can go specifically to learn about that, to learn, you know, more deeply about politics. Cause it's not like we're really even covering. I don't even think the SUP does like that shallow analysis. I feel like we really totally. get in there. Um, 
And that's why I think it has been why we were sort of set up when this year happened to be able to have that conversation. And it wasn't random and it wasn't coming Mm. from nowhere um, because we had already been talking about those things just, you know, sort of on our news and politics platform. Right. That's really good that you that you have it, first of all, but also just that it was that you can have more of like a deep dive into this type of thing, but it's at the same time extremely approachable. Like um, I do listen to the SUP like on my evening walks usually, like the podcast, the daily podcast. It's And I do just feel like I'm just talking to my friends, which is really nice. So it's become so approachable. And like, I think that's sort of like what the core of your whole brand is, right? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that is what we were really going for. Like, I remember when we started this up, what I what I kind of had in my own mind was that it's like where you combine the real housewives with politics. And I think that that got easier during the Trump administration because it was so dramatic, really what it was like. Um, whereas like, you know, when, when Obama was president, it wasn't, it wasn't as funny, <laughs> you know, it was just sort of like, and I mean, the, when I say funny under the Trump administration, I mean, I mean that in like a nervous laughter kind of way. Totally. Um, and, you know, funny because it's so, some of their shit was so sorry if I'm not allowed to curse. Funny you can because, curse, don't worry. Okay. Funny because they were so dumb and, mm. but also malicious. And, you know, some, again, it comes back to like meeting people where they are. Um, you know, there's, it's not, I think it's hard for people to get into politics because it feels so inaccessible. Sometimes it Mm -hmm. feels like there's so much context required, so many rules, so many, um, positions that politicians are in. It's confusing. It's really confusing that if you, if you haven't kind of built up a knowledge base, maybe because you've studied it or because you like following it and have always followed it. It is confusing and there's right. not really like an entry point. Even if you read like, you know, BuzzFeed News, which is I think pretty accessible, it's still not going to put it in the terms that we would necessarily put it in. Right. Because when you're like talking about things like The Bachelor or like other things that like young women are probably like all tuned into, it's not the same language as when it is about politics, which is very complicated. And so you have to make it sort of more accessible. And it's also so hard to do with social media at the current moment because of honestly like Facebook news, which I feel like is like using that, like that fact that politics is so complicated to scam people into believing like bullshit yes yes I think I think that for a long time politicians on all across the aisle have sort of skated by on the ignorance of the American people particularly young people um and I think that that has made it made it easier to create this world that is quite unjust in many ways Right, because then they use like that 
like you said, skating by on this ignorance. And then even the Trump administration did that like 10 times more by just making so many, like just doing so much and having so much drama all the time that like you literally couldn't keep up whether like you were a supporter or not without being like us, like obsessed and reading the news 10 hours a day. Right. And I, and I think that it goes also like, I think it's hard for people to just dive in like, you know, in their twenties and if, mm-hmm. if they haven't ever paid attention they're so it's confusing. Like I read, I read the New York times articles, obviously like every night when I prepare my morning announcement script, I read a number of websites and I, I try to read them from the point of view of someone who, because I'm trying to put it into like simple terms and just really like bear it down to the most essential information. I really try to put, try to read those articles from the point of view of someone who has no context. Like what's, and mm-hmm. and like if you just want to start you know keeping up with the news it's not easy it's not it's like very it's esoteric it's kind of boring um and i you know and so, i don't want to like excuse people for like their lack of engagement but at the same time i do understand the barriers to it definitely so so many barriers to it especially like when i started actually paying attention to politics when i was younger like it is really complicated, especially if you're young, but then I studied it in college and it's like so insanely difficult to understand all of this. And then once you actually study it, you realize like that it's even more like impossible to change in a lot of ways and just get like sort of, you know, upset about that. And then now like, what do you do next? You know? So for a lot of people who like really don't have like the the energy because it is boring, but then now it's like, because it was so massively destructive over the last four years, like it was impossible to ignore. So I do hope that that in itself brings people to want to be more informed and like understand the choices they make every day and like those impacts that they have on other people too. Definitely. And I think you could tell that people were trying. Unfortunately, I think a lot of it was like due to peer pressure, but you could tell that people were trying and just didn't have like the language, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. So what what started your interest in politics? Um, so I am from St. Louis, which is like a very, what is it called? Like divided, no segregated letter. city. Yes. And so we have this street in St. Louis um, called Delmar. It's the street that Wash U is on. And essentially um, above that street um, is the north side of St. Louis, which is like black. And the average income is like $18,000 a year. And the average like house price is like $78,000. Whereas like below that street, the average income is like $80,000. And the average house price is $350,000. And when you drive from north to south on Del Mar, you can see there's like a like all these buildings that are like boarded up. There's like a Popeye's and a McDonald's. And then you cross that street and it's the most expensive grocery store and the like billion, like million dollar condominium building. Like literally you can look both ways and see like poor and rich and black and white. So for me, when um, Mike Brown died, that year was like going into my junior year of high school. And I, took um, AP government and politics and I like learned about the Del Mar divide did all that and that's sort of where I was like 
this is unacceptable that like this is happening in my country like he died very close to my house and I was like this is could have been my brother you know so it was like that was really where it started for me I was like 15 I was like I want to go into politics to change this also because you know I didn't have um my (laughs) what is it like I didn't have people around me were very racist like everyone around me I didn't have a lot of black people around me so I had to be really educated about it or else no one would sort of like listen so that's where it started for me but what about you yeah, that's really tough. Um, I'll tell you, but I, I just do want to say it's interesting um, how you bring up the Delmar Divide and you bring up St. Louis because um, one journalist who I have like followed religiously throughout this administration is Sarah Kenzier, and she's from Missouri, and she talks a lot about how Missouri is sort of like where it all starts. She, you know, she mentioned mm-hmm. in her book like Mike Brown was a really big start of, you know, of sort of I would say like the modern reiteration of civil rights movements which has obviously evolved into blm right Um, and she she talks a lot about that so it is very interesting that you know you're from there too and that that's your Mm -hmm. your basis for it um i so i've it's so funny i have like my family always watched the news my like earliest memories were watching like oj's chase and like the clinton impeachment and oh my god that's crazy yeah like the, like just watching in my kitchen my i grew up in the same house as my grandparents um and obviously my parents as well um or not obviously but i you know it was my parents my brother um and my my mom's parents and um when it was the 2000 election um obviously the bush first score it was a shit show and my grandmother like my, everyone in my family always talked about the news like it was just kind of like mm-hmm. they were we weren't a family who ignores it like it was the it was kind of like the basis of our conversations I think to honestly thinking back growing up and when the the, the Bush first Gore election happened my grandmother was like so upset about you know the recount and the Supreme Court stole it and she would not stop talking about it Um, Wow. And then, and then what that, but she was like, so we noticed she was actually just like repeating herself a lot. And right after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. um, And that was sort of like the first sign of her Alzheimer's, the obsession with the Bush Gore election. Um, But honestly, like after that, like everything, I I was very upset about like the Iraq war for a 14 year old and um I don't know like I always just cared like in in high school I was like president of model congress and like the global awareness club and I just naturally sort of care I can't like really you know my my mom always instilled in me now and especially now we talk about politics all the time like my also um my brother he passed away but growing up he had autism and my mom had to like fight for everything you know funding from the school you know eight like the proper mm-hmm. help and my um, sister has autism I'm, I'm I understand it's so very difficult to do. Like, yeah you're familiar with that and it's you know I'm I just think I'm like if like if my mom didn't like fight for those things for him like no one was taking care of it like there's no help there's no you know you can't rely necessarily on the government and you see how much the government and elected officials and like the need to lobby them for like the smallest amount of assistance like it really matters who is in charge and it affects people's lives and i think that the both my like sort of natural interest plus the 
like understanding like how it actually affects people's lives growing up. Um, it really just like that connection was made for me very early and it, it just is innate for me kind of. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that is, that's where it all began. It's crazy. It's like, yeah, it's similar to that like meme that goes around. It's like, I don't know how to like teach you that you should care about other people. Um, and that's like, I feel as, as you grow up, of course, being exposed to the news is like a massive, like thing that's going to implore anyone to be like, what is going on here? Because, um, like my mom was like shielded from, my mom was like homeschooled in like a Christian curriculum and like shielded from all of it, like did not know there was a civil war, like very, it was crazy. Um, and like, that's like in the name of Christianity, but essentially, and it was literally crazy. Like I, we've had to do a lot of learning <laughs> the last like what six years, but essentially, um, I think that the idea of just like being innately caring about it, people are often like, I don't understand how you have that much energy to do so, you know, because it does take up a lot of like mental space and anxiety. And so, like, how do you sort of manage that while also it's part of your job now too? You know, I think I'm lucky that it, like, it motivates me. Like, I don't feel like I'm caring for no reason. Obviously, it's very disheartening watching, you know, things not change and and um, some of the tragic things that we've have been completely out of our control, like, personally. But it gives me, like, a purpose to care. Um, I mm-hmm. I just feel like... I feel like I'm lucky that I understand it and that I have a way to tra- – like I find it easy to translate for people. Um, and I think that's that – That is that's such a gift, yeah. I, I mean I don't know of a gift, but I feel like I have the right intersection of skills for what I want to do. Um, and it was also somewhat luck that I, you know, was born into this family that cared and was – and, you know, it was a conversation – I think about my husband's family and they like don't really talk about politics. And, you know, when we, when we met and we were first dating, he was just sort of like, he was just sort of like, like, why, like, why, like, why do you want to stress about this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he's completely changed. Uh, like, to be honest with you, like now he, <laughs> he watches like the news all day and he, you know, he's really, he really gets it. Um, and part of that was that I think he was raised with just like very good values generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, his, you know, his, I think that it really comes down to like, just, you know, right place, right time, right interests almost. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. But I find that like, I really find it rewarding to, to talk about this. And obviously I love talking about, you know, the real housewives and whatever, but I don't find it as rewarding. I just find it fun. Mm, that's a good differentiating factor. And I'm with you on that because it's very fun to talk about fun things when you don't have to like worry about white supremacists 24 yeah. seven, you know, very right. fun. Right. It truly is a privilege to be able to ignore what's going on because if, if you can ignore it and if you can ignore it, it means it's not happening to you which means that you are not an object of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, But if, you know, the fact is that like most people can't ignore it. Um, And the choice to, I think is an unfortunate one. And, and my goal is to kind of help people see why 
ignoring it is so harmful, even if they're not experiencing, you know, any sort of bad effects from the systems of governance in this country. Right, because it's like that specific ignorance, like we said in the beginning, that actually like allows people to get away with it in the first place. Yeah, and this is the ignorance and also the sort of like, why can't we all just get along attitude? Like, mm-hmm. I would love that. Like, I would love that. But So fun. I would love that. Yeah, but that's not the reality. Like, you know, I, we're talking on, you know, January 22nd and obviously the, you know, the Republicans want unity and they want, you know, let's just like let the conviction, you know, we don't have, we can't, you know, he's not president anymore. Like, let's just ignore it. No, like the fact that these things are, accountability leads to unity and justice leads to unity Mm -hmm. and it's you know there's obviously like an mlk quote about how like the absent like p like oppression i don't know the exact quote but oppression and injustice are not peace Mm, yeah for sure it's one of those that it's just like if you really do just like ignore this type of thing and just let the like for example we literally two weeks ago had an insurrection and nothing's been done about it like you can't really pretend like now we can move forward and have peace like no like white supremacists aren't being punished that's oppression it's like okay you know how like on an individual level if one has a trauma psychologically and they don't deal with it it comes out later in you know Mm. antisocial behavior or other issues that happens on a national level too we basically had an abusive father as the head of the country for the past four years. four years and if we're not going to deal with the trauma of that then there will be another then we will get into an abusive another abusive relationship like um, so fast literally yeah, exactly. just it's like what we think we need exactly oh my God. it hasn't been dealt with and yeah i think it's it's not like it's not about like revenge like it's not about oh we need to get revenge on them like mm-hmm. no like it's about accountability and fairness so that it doesn't happen again yeah do you think like like I listened to Brene Brown's podcast after the insurrection and she did a great job of being like when you're like at the family dinner and there's like somebody who's like an alcoholic in the family like ruining dinner and the person sitting there is like why don't why can't we just have like one good meal for once like why can't we just get along for one moment instead of like acknowledging the hurt of what's going on in the family like that means that person is just going to keep doing what they're doing you know and that's like what is about to happen with us moving forward but what i think a lot of people are worried about is like whether the democratic party can like really do that accountability. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely the question I have in my head as well. Um, I, I hope every time I see a headline that's like, you know, first of all, I wish Elizabeth Warren was the majority leader. Um, every time, because sorry, every time I see a, a headline about Schumer and you know what they're, you know, if, if I'm them, I am doing a figurative – I'm doing the figurative version of the Amy Coney Barrett nomination every day that I can until I cannot anymore because that's what they would do. Why exactly. Shouldn't, why shouldn't the Democrats fight just as hard as the Republicans fight for their people? And I'm not saying they have to fight dirty or be unethical because that I don't support. But the rules are the rules. Mitch McConnell followed them. Why can't we? It doesn't make sense, but there's just also such a divide between 
this party right now that like I think is sort of under the radar, but it's like clearly going to come to view very soon of this like progressive versus, you know, moderate Democrat moment of like what to support and what not to support. And I think they're so scared of like what people have said about them on like Facebook news when they're not really doing anything about like making real changes or deciding like what really matters to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to install a spine in our leaders. I don't know how to think about like, you know, I, I, I don't, that's the thing. It's like, because we live in a representative democracy, it's like, okay, they are, they're our representatives. They were the ones who were elected. And I think people get upset when we talk about like primarying from the left and I don't know. My my feeling is sort of that like it's not that the moderates are badly intentioned, although, you know, there are a lot of questions about, you know, where do their donations come from and who are they really serving? But my feeling on that is that like some of them I think are just stuck in a different time when uh-huh. there really was an ability to compromise and they need to kind of get with the program that that is just not what it's like anymore and that if they want to honor their constituents who voted for them especially communities of color which let's be honest were the tipping point in this election right and 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 not just not just the tipping point that just got them to win because let's be real if the election had been closer in any state or any two states they would have stolen it the republicans would have stolen it the court cases would have worked all like all the things they tried one of them would have worked so it's almost like when will their own selfishness kick in and realize that like they like the Republicans will never give an inch. They will only elect more Lauren Boebert's and Marjorie Taylor Greens. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to lose power. I I don't know how to, I don't know how to convey that, you know? Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. There's no like clear moment for me where it's like how to get these people to really think about what's really coming from the other side. And that's why when I was in or like obviously I was like surrounded by all the poli sci nerds in college, which like we for reference, my freshman year like was like so I was in the journalism school at Northwestern, like gonna be a journalist. And then Donald Trump was elected like two months into my freshman year. And I was like oh my God, can't do this. So it's like, I got to learn about this politics because this is a disaster. So I switched and I was surrounded by these poli nerds who always had like such an interesting take about what to do or like who should be the next president or like who should be elected or whatever, but never would think about this like growing, very upset, frustrated base that is my white side of my family, rural, white, Christian, evangelical <laughs> American voters who are single issue voters and can be convinced to do a lot by the quote, like word of God, you know, and that we're not going to, here's the thing. We're never going to chip away at that. It's like a structural, you know, you could argue it's like evolutionarily wired that, (laughs) you know, we're never going to chip away at that. And like, there has to be some counterbalance to that. Yeah, exactly. So since that whole thing is still there, it's like now it's becoming even wider because like they're playing on this ignorance of this specific base, you know? So it's like you've got to figure out how to counter that if you're going to continue like in power. Right. Plus, 
you have, you know, I think, so I think something that, you know, I, okay. So obviously, you know, we had Richard Nixon, super corrupt. The Republican party has been quite corrupt for a long time, (laughs) but, but I think the difference is that there was not always this social media polarization that leads people to live in truly their own realities. Um, you know, because in obviously past decades, there was only, you know, three networks and generally facts were agreed on. There was also the fairness doctrine where both sides had to be presented. But now we are living in two alternate realities and the Republican move, like their next threat is that they want to have like a civil war. So it's oh like God. you either have to do something about it now or you can make like small incremental changes and just defer the eventual problems but i don't know i don't really want to revisit this feeling in another four or eight years so it's me neither yeah so then for you guys with to probably bring it back down to from our our rant our joint rant um so for like betches up what do you guys want to like accomplish then over the next like four years um i know of course we will have like midterms but what's your goal as of now I mean, we are, you know, I honestly think we're not really changing much. I think we are, you know, going to continue to share the news in the way that I think is very unique to us. Um, Another piece is that we really do want to like lean into the activism um, and especially from like a a female point of view, Um, because, you know, a lot out there is like if we're really honest about where, you know, sort of mainstream media is, it has not... um, you know, it, I don't think it is where it needs to be in terms of the perspectives. So mm-hmm. something that we really do focus on is, you know, bringing those perspectives, broadening them. And I think just generally, like there aren't many, I would say, female focused outlets out there. Um, and that is really kind of what we see as our niche that it is, you know, we're talking about it from the point of view of women. Um mm-hmm. And that is, you know, really what where we want to take it. We want to make the continue to make the news accessible to continue to help people be engaged. Um, I, I one thing that I do think was positive that came out of the Trump administration was that people are engaged, and once that light is switched on, it's really hard to turn it off in a fun so in a true. permanent way. Um, so maybe people can be like, I'm not paying attention for a week or two or a month, or you know, maybe they're you know. It's just not their priority. But I think that once you've seen it, it's hard to unsee. Um, and I have friends who I think, you know, are are proof of this. And I'm really happy about it, honestly. That's good. Yeah. It's good to see that with like people you know as well. But I think that's true. Like once you see it, it's hard to turn off. And it's just about like sort of making sure people are seeing it and it'll come to them in the time whatever timing is like necessary for their like awakening of realizing what's going on. But to have it in a more accessible way is always going to be important. And so I do think that's really clear. Like when you said like there's not a lot of news outlets that are focused on the female perspective, I was racking my brain trying to think of some. I was like, there really isn't. Well, there's the skim, but I don't think they're particularly, and I don't want to like insult them or anything. It's, 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 I think that we take a little more expressly feminist take on things. Mm-hmm. The skim has tried really hard to remain like neutral. 
Yeah, I think we are sort of the SUP is really it's unabashed feminists um, and even socialists hosting the hosting the podcast. Mm -hmm. Totally. Definitely true. Have you guys like thought about doing I know Refinery29 has like the they're like unbothered, like they're black female like vertical. Have you guys ever thought about doing that at Betches? Honestly, like it, it has been, you know, a consideration, I would say in the coming year, like I even this morning was just having like three different conversations about like our diversity strategy. And I even hate the word diversity strategy, because I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I think it shouldn't be a strategy like it should. Right. You know, it's it's I think it. The truth is my two co founders and I we've been friends since we were, you know, children, we grew up in a predominantly white Jewish town on Long Island. And when we created Betches, it wasn't even, you know, we didn't even set out to start a business. We were really mm -hmm. just kind of writing originally satirically about like people, you know, the kind of culture around us. We didn't even realize we were writing for like any sort of greater public. Um, and when we, when we first started, we were anonymous. So, I mean, and we didn't really have a serious full-time staff until 2016 even wow um, for a lot of it it was just us working on it freelancers we hired our first employee in 2015 um so it is something that we are working on really like just kind of building the foundation of a genuinely inclusive brand um and not mm -hmm. kind of doing things that like pay lip service to it um but it is definitely like a focus of ours. We talk a lot about like how can we bring in, you know, bring in talent with different backgrounds, different perspectives and not have it be a tokeny, tokeny, weird, like, yeah. you know, like um, performative type of thing. Exactly. And I mean, on the SUP, we brought we brought on two black hosts who are like completely brilliant. I don't know if you follow. I'm um, obsessed with yeah, Caitlin on Twitter. Her her threads are just like she is so brilliant um and millie is obviously hilarious so millie is a new host she just started this year and that was you know a concerted effort for us like i work with amanda who runs this up and we we actually make a concerted effort to like examine what faces are on our page whose comments are we sharing and you know i think these are all pieces of it but it's definitely a work in progress um especially yeah. given that the roots of our brand are so particular it's so true population but honestly like personally this is something that I and my co-founders are absolutely focused on devoted to and it is you know it's definitely something that is a it's an undertaking because it's not just for about sure. making the right hires it's about creating the environment for the hires and that is something we are we are determined to do yeah it's definitely difficult I mean I can't I can imagine can't imagine because I haven't I've only ever worked at like big companies where like the diversity situation is very uh dire we'll say that um so I I just I think about how like you are like it's like three of you like have to like create this culture from scratch and like it's very difficult of course to do especially just like the way we see things come out about different, you know, founders of different companies, you know, and how like that they basically like run this whole thing. That's a lot of pressure that I did not even think about. But I think you guys have done a really good job, though, of moving from like what where you started, which was like around like being like essentially like this white girl culture that like I was also I read batches love this from like the beginning. So I know where, where that was. 
because I was also engulfed in white girl culture. But yeah. I would say that um, you've done a great job of like bringing it into the new age by being relatable and interesting and also accountable for like the damage that could have done in the beginning. Yeah. Thank thank you for, thank you so much for recognizing that because like, I think back on some of the things that like I said and wrote when I was that age and I'm just like, how did you do that? Like why? <laughs> like, and you know, it's a learning, it really has been a learning process, but I do think the benefit of it is that because we, you know, you can see where we started and you can see where we've gone that, you know, I hope it translates the effort that we take and the and what we try to do. Because again, like there's so much more work to be done and I never want to like congratulate ourselves or pat ourselves on the back for where we are because I don't think we're where I would like us to be. And I don't think we are, you know, generally if you, if you ask like is Betches where we want to be diverse wise, like we mm. want to do more. Yeah. Um, so that is definitely like a goal of ours. Um, but we really have tried and I think that the evolution has been sort of through us as people as well. Um, and you can kind of see That's that true. because we have evolved. We've, you know, evolved our thinking and, you know, that growing and changing that everyone, you know, says they want to do. Um, I, you did it and it's I, public. <laughs> thank you. Right. Like I think there's sort of evidence of it, you know, and yeah, it's it's again, it is a work in progress. Like. I can never say I can't say that I'll ever fully understand. I won't understand what it is like to be black in America or come from any marginalized community, no matter how much information or how many perspectives I get. But, you know, trying to be an ally and provide platforms. And that is really, you know, that is kind of where mm. we are headed. I like that. I'm glad. To, and I believe it too, just because of like watching the passion that you guys have put into when you do start to learn more, like even the evolution of diet starts tomorrow from being like focused on maybe how to diet a little bit more or better or whatever to like what it is today, which is like an anti-diet culture, like recognizing where it's come from and like the roots of how racism and politics have played into it and like what that means now and having to grapple with that that like it is a growing and changing thing all of us want to do and like it's pretty clear like how it happens is not always easy right and I okay even when you talk about the diet the diet culture um pieces you know I've been trying to get off or or come to the end of my diet journey since I can remember but mm -hmm. it wasn't until, honestly, like, it wasn't until the connection was made for me between the patriarchy, racism, and diet culture that I found it within me to get out of it because Same. it took, right, like, it takes a little, again, it comes down to, like, it's easier to do anything when there's a purpose. And mm -hmm. I felt that once I finally realized what my, why I was doing this and like what was really behind it that I could be like, okay, this is misaligned. It's not just annoying. It's not just like, I'm not just hungry. It's actually <laughs> misaligned with like, I'm not just hungry. This is ruining my entire purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's not just like, this isn't just like a calorie counting app. It is a tool of the patriarchy. It, like, it you know, it's like, keeping me down. It's keeping me from using my voice. Exactly. And 
honestly, like once that happened, I felt so much more space in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I've been wondering, like, is it a coincidence that I started really personally sharing much more news and my news opinions and, you know, sharing politics on social media and starting the morning announcements podcast? I wonder, like, did that come about because I created that space in my life where Mm -hmm. calorie counting used to be? Right. And I think it did. Like, I mean, I don't think that I would have had like the confidence even to speak up about things had I like not recognized that I didn't need to be focusing on being smaller to be worthy, if that makes sense. Like I didn't feel like I didn't feel confident or worthy in myself because of like my weight not being the exact needs of like society. But then when I recognized that like that's not where it came from, it was easier for me to like use my voice. But I still, of course, like struggle with using my voice on social media because people are mean. But either way, definitely. Yeah, yeah, people suck. But definitely, I think the space was created. And you've done a great job of just like being – I mean, morning announcements is fire, by the way. Huge fan. Yeah. Um, I love doing it. It really like get, like as as much as this phrase is retired, like it gives me life. Like I can't. Yeah, <laughs> the phrase retired. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, and it it's exciting because it is like an approachable thing that like can make such a difference in the life of someone who's maybe like grew up in a Republican family or something, and like needs. It's like five minutes a day just to sort of like move over to learning more, you know, like even my mom, like I think about my mom and how like if she didn't have an outspoken black child, like she would not understand any of this. And so for me, I just had to get her to like listen to like NPR up first or like I could even get her to listen to morning announcements. And my mom is like pretty young. She's only like 37, but like still very, you know, under much understands like like that sort of generation who like might just need like a push in the right direction. I feel like not only Betches up everything, but morning announcements does a great job of that. So great purpose. Huge fan. Yeah, it's it's um I mean I think it everyone does just sort of need a little push to kind of get them going. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that that really it it helps and it will surprise you, I think, how much just like a little bit of planting a seed can really yeah, change help someone over time. Right. Over time for sure. It's cool. Help. It's like that gives me like a good amount of hope. Feeling yeah. inspired. I Actually, have a mix yeah. of hope and frustration. Oh yeah. The frustration. I think you, you of course know my frustration. I did a whole podcast about how I'm like frustrated with the way white girls like refuse to acknowledge what's going on in the country particularly more influencers but you know the people around us too are tough but it's I mean I mean I wonder it's so easy for like me who really I feel like it was primed for this moment to be like why don't you say something but (laughs) I you know I I wonder like I wonder really what it's like to be in that position and like what ultimately is holding people back is it that uh-huh. they don't believe it? Is it that they are scared of the commentary? Is it that they're scared of the follower loss? Like, and I just I have I to say, know. 
Yeah. Right. I want to know. I have to say that when I look at like I have two different like people who are in this category for me and one is my like sorority sisters at Northwestern and the other is like the like my influencer on Instagram like the average like white woman who like posts about maybe fashion, maybe food, maybe beauty, whatever. And right. like on one side, if you are like this sorority sister of mine, I feel like the reason they don't talk about politics is like rooted in the patriarchy of not wanting to seem too outspoken. Yes. Like that's easily like what I chalk it up to. And then for the influencers, it's like they don't want to be held accountable for their actions or lose followers. And I mean, I get it because I receive like even the most like one or two negative comments out of like 300 are really scary for for someone like me but then again like I didn't sign up to necessarily be an influencer but that now that I am in a very small way I do feel like I understand that people don't want to get hate but like that individual hate is like as a white woman that's not enough to for me to excuse like the behavior of ignoring major political events right right I do, I I mean I totally agree I yeah. think you know, it might be like the combined lack of confidence in their own beliefs. Like maybe they haven't really bought in. Because true, I'll be honest, like I I discovered Rachel Cargill. Like I discovered her not like this past November, but the the previous November. Mm-hmm. And this was before it was like a a conversation. Like you know, before people like everyone was like, you must follow Rachel Cargill. Like right. So I fa- I found her page, and that was like. That was my first kind of understanding of the real critiques of white white feminism. And I kind of like, I'll tell you like my reaction, like internally, like I felt a bit of an internal crisis for probably about like three to four weeks where I I grabbed with like, am I a white feminist? What are my actions are qualifying as white feminist? Like, and something that was really helpful on her account was like reading her breakdowns of when people comment to her. Um, I love those. Yeah. And and like watching her deconstruct those arguments, that to me was like, that was so eye-opening for me and also destabilizing. So when people, so when June came around and people were like, (laughs) you have to sit in the discomfort, I was like, okay, I know what they're talking about, but I really will be surprised if if any other people get it. Like, because Mm -hmm. it really was very uncomfortable. It 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 genuinely like, like there were parts of me that were like, no, she can't be right. Like I reject this. Like I'm not this person. Like I'm not a problem. Like I'm not contributing to a problem. Like look how much I've done. But like it's – and like, yeah, those are the arguments that white – you know, of white feminism. Um, <laughs> That's exactly – you're familiar yeah, right there. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course those are going to be a reaction from someone who who – with my background. Like it seems obvious that that would be the reaction. But it's – you know, I – grappling with it was the part that like kind of prepped me that when when like I saw like once I saw it I was like okay Mm. I really see it and that was a struggle and I think that's okay like you know it's gonna be like that for everyone who's like like even when I talk about my mom she's the closest like white person to me but she it, when she recognized like things that she might be doing were racist, even though she was like married to a black man and had black kids, like for her, it's a massive thing where you're like, 
I don't understand how this is possible or like these beliefs. And it's like, you do have to sit with it for a long time and then make an effort after that. And so it's like not only sitting with it and recognizing like where you might've messed up and like forgiving yourself for that, but it's also then taking the next step to like make a change in not only your own life, but someone else's. And like that I think has to come from an innate, like caring about other people and also putting yourself in a position to make that change. Like for some people, like maybe you're not surrounded by anyone who looks like you and you have absolutely no reason to want to change or do better. And like that is where it's like the hardest to convince like someone who may be like a quote white feminist to change. It, yes, it is because it's so much easier to just be like, okay, I was exposed to this argument. I didn't like it. I still think they're wrong and I'm just mm-hmm. going to keep thinking what I think. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely hard to grapple with that discomfort long-term, which was why when like, you know, June rolled around and I was like watching, you know, watching the messages and, you know, everyone's like, they're sharing Rachel Cargill stuff. And I'm thinking like, I'm like this, I'm like, you really just discovered her and you don't, and like, you're not yeah like, got some stuff to do. Like you're like, I'm like, when everyone's like, I'm doing the work, I'm like, Okay. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to, here's the thing. I don't want to minimize the work anyone might really be doing. Cause there have been people who I'm like, okay, I really, I can tell you're doing the work. Like I know you've had, you've had Cameron Rogers on mm-hmm. and she, like, and she talks about these things like all the time on her page, which, you know, I give her credit for. Um, but like when I, when I saw like all those, I was like, yeah, if people are really doing the work, then they're going to be really upset for like it's gonna be tough and it's gonna feel bad you know it's gonna be a difficult situation for a long time so I'm I feel that 100% I know that it's um almost 12 so I will I will have to record this up so oh like all day no I know right there's so much to discuss honestly but the um stuff oh my god that's so exciting I'm excited to listen to it today but It was today's episode. It'll be out, um, and we are planning to talk about what kind of really what we start where we started this conversation. Like, what will the Democrats do? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we expecting of them? What do we want from them? And how do we make sure they don't give in? Yes. How do we make sure they don't give in? How do we make sure they like listen to each other? Like, they need to like have a moment too, where they like decide what to do next because AOC is exposing them on Twitter. I'll say I that. Know. So, exactly. We love to see it. Okay, I'm going to do one last rapid-fire question if you are down. I'm down. Okay, fabulous. Okay, here we go. Appetizers or dessert? Ooh, dessert. Interesting. I feel like I can see that. Okay, Instagram or TikTok? You know, mm, I'm better at Instagram, but TikTok is more – I feel better when I'm on it. It's so entertaining. I love yeah. it. it. Makes yeah. me smile. Um, favorite TV show of all time? Oh my god, that's hard. I know. Right? You know, like, I feel like I want to say The Sopranos. It's a good one. I started yeah. that this summer, and I need to finish it. It's so good. I haven't watched it like in the past year, so I'm. I want to like. It's one of those shows that I've returned to a number of times because I want to see how I feel about it at different junctures. I'm trying to. I guess that's my favorite TV show. I also really love Succession, but it's all a good time. One. Yeah. 
I love Succession. I need to see what happens next. It's so good. Um, Okay. Favorite podcast besides all of the ones that you. Oh my gosh. That's honestly, I mentioned, I mentioned Gaslit Nation from Sarah Kenzier. Mm. Um, She's it's Sarah Kenzier and Andrea Chalupa are the, are the hosts. They, they are like Cassandra's of this era. Um, They predicted everything. They're scholars of authoritarianism and I have learned so much from them and like it's just been so cathartic to listen to them. I'm so excited. Now I'm going to go like binge that this weekend. It's it's good. Like yeah, I think you'll just be like, "Wow, like they know." I'm so excited. Okay, okay, most important self-care practice. Mm, my dogs. Now oh my god, dogs. I'm so I obsessed with the new dog. dog. Yeah. So yeah. excited. Yeah, that's just snuggling with them, honestly. Like in the morning, right when I wake up, just staring at them. Oh, yeah. so cute. I got to get a dog now. You, ke- you, do. you kept you, you kept me in the ring with the dogs because people were really doing too much. Yeah, just uh, – you just, again, everyone wants to, to tell you everything, but I think you can handle it. You're right, you're right. And you don't okay. need to spend $4,500 on one either. I won't. Don't worry. I can't afford that. So, <laughs> okay, final question for you is – Finish this sentence with something you want young people to know. You're too smart for what for worrying about what everyone else thinks. Stunning. Okay, thank you so much, Sammy. I'm so excited to have you on, and um, this was such a fun conversation. Thank it was you. Crazy. I could have this conversation anytime, any day. There's so much more to go into. Also, I know, so right? So much to go we into. Will, we will have it again. Thank you, Alexa. We must. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay, wait, do are we? Thank you so much for listening to the Too Smart for This podcast. Be sure to leave a review if you liked it. It takes two seconds. And follow the show on Instagram at Too Smart for This Pod. Check back every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes. And make sure to follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Alexis Barber for more content about lifestyle, health, and career. And don't forget, you're too smart to not love yourself.